You are listening to Policy Unplugged, a VIC radio production. Welcome back to Policy Unplugged. I'm your host, Alyssa Spady. Throughout this season of Policy Unplugged, we have been covering big legislation measures on Capitol Hill, suggestions from the White House, and elsewhere. As we have been covering these topics, mass shootings have begun to reclaim headlines here in the U.S. According to CNN, in this past month alone, we have seen 45 mass shootings. These have been in places like Colorado, Atlanta, Virginia Beach, South Carolina, and now most recently, Indianapolis. Mass shootings in the U.S. have become an unsettling and traumatic ritual as the country becomes shocked from the news and then the nation joins in mourning the victims. But no real change occurs. We have seen that mass shootings don't totally discriminate against age, race, or gender. They affect elementary and high school age children, concert goers, grocery shoppers, and regular FedEx facility workers. This week, we'll be speaking about gun reform here in America. It's an intense topic, so we encourage our listeners to take breaks during this episode so that they can take care of themselves and return when they feel ready. As always here at Policy Unplugged, we also encourage our listeners to use this time as a stepping stone to more in-depth research from a diversified group of news media outlets. Let's get started. On March 17th, 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long used a 9mm gun to kill eight people at three separate Atlanta-area massage businesses. Six of his victims were of Asian descent, which brings up a little sidebar where Policy Unplugged would like to address the exponential spike in violence against the Asian population in the U.S. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, Asian Americans have been wrongly blamed and persecuted for it. Former President Trump was known for calling the COVID-19 virus, quote, the China virus, Chinese virus, and Kung flu. His racially charged speech not only caught on with other public officials, but with Americans across the nation. Now, Asian Americans across the country are facing constant discrimination, as well as verbal and physical assault. While there are no firm numbers that Policy Unplugged can report on in relation to the increase in Asian American violence, we can cite a study at San Francisco State University that found a 50% rise in the number of news articles related to COVID-19 and anti-Asian discrimination between the beginning of February and the beginning of March. The rise in cases of violence against the Asian American population is frightening, frustrating, and traumatic. Policy Unplugged acknowledges this and encourages our listeners to take a few minutes out of their day to look further into this. On March 23rd, a man used a Ruger AR-556 to open fire at a grocery store, killing 10. Late on March 26th, a group of people got into an argument which resulted in a shootout involving several guns, leading to two deaths and eight injuries. On April 7th, a former NFL player, Philip Adams, killed six people before killing himself in York County, South Carolina. Among those who were killed were a prominent doctor, his wife, and their two young grandchildren. And most recently, on April 17th, 19-year-old Brandon Hole, a former FedEx employee, 
opened fire on a FedEx ground facility in Indianapolis, killing eight before killing himself. These are just four shootings occurring days and even weeks within each other, proving that the U.S. still has a gun problem and an even worse gun violence problem. And these aren't all of those 45 that occurred in this last month alone. The first few months of media coverage have been dominated by the pandemic, and rightfully so. But in the first few months of this year, mass shootings have been dominating the nation as well. According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been at least 147 mass shootings in this year alone, and we're only four months in. Before we dissect the legislation that passed the House last month and some of the hints coming from the White House, let's look at the statistics of gun violence here in the U.S. First thing we should mention is that mass shootings in the U.S. aren't the main problem. While they receive mass media attention, they only account for a small portion of gun violence here in America. In 2019, according to the Gun Violence Archive, one out of every 400 gun deaths was the result of a mass shooting. As a side note, mass shootings are considered to be such when there are at least four deaths. More than half of gun-related deaths are from suicides. But no matter the case in which the gun was used to cause harm, gun reform would help to solve all aspects of gun-related violence and deaths. According to experts, simple changes like bans on assault weapons, large-capacity ammunition magazines, limitations on ammunition purchases, barring sales to violent criminals, expanded mental health treatment options, and implementing universal checks for gun buyers could be the key to not permanently getting rid of or reducing the amounts of gun violence and mass shootings, but reducing the casualties of these incidents. According to the Senate Committee on the Judiciary, states with the tougher gun laws have far less gun-related crime. In 2016, a study cited by them by the Center for American Progress found that 10 states with the weakest gun laws, Alaska, Arizona, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Vermont, and Wyoming, had triple the amount of gun violence than those states with the toughest gun laws, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. Another Johns Hopkins study found that when Connecticut enacted a law that required a buyer to have a permit when purchasing a gun, homicides dropped by 40 percent. In Missouri, who had a similar law that was repealed, gun homicides rose by 25 percent. Since the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting, 13 Democrat-controlled states have passed or expanded laws that require background checks for new gun purchases. On the other side of the aisle, 14 Republican-controlled states have passed laws that loosened restrictions and allowed its citizens to carry guns with no permit process at all. With all this background, let's take a look to Capitol Hill as well as the White House to see what has been passed or hinted at occurring there. Just a little reminder before we move on to the bills that have gone through or are going through the process right now. Historically, the U.S. hasn't really passed gun control legislation in the wake of a mass shooting. The last biggest bill post-mass shooting was in 2007. It came after the mass shooting at Virginia Tech, where the shooter killed 32 people. In January of that next year, Congress passed the bipartisan Nix Improvement Amendments Act. Its goal was to improve federal and state e-record keeping that was used in background checks on those who were ineligible to have a firearm due to a mental illness. It passed the House and Senate unanimously and was signed into law by President George W. Bush. But in February of 2017, President Trump signed a legislation that overturned a rule that implemented that law, which was the prohibition of gun ownership by a person who has been deemed mentally impaired. 
On March 11th of this year, the House passed legislation that sought to expand background checks on all commercial gun sales and transfers. H.R. 8, also known as the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021, passed in a 227 to 203 vote that saw eight Republicans join Democrats and one Democrat break party ranks voting against it. A similar piece of legislation was introduced by Majority Whip Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. It passed 218 to 210 and sought to close the Charleston loophole, which allows some licensed gun sales to go through before the required background check is completed. It was the way that Dylan Roof was able to purchase the gun he used to kill nine people at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, five years ago. The bill would seek to close that loophole and require background checks on all gun purchases. H.R. 8 was expected to be put on the schedule by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, but it's still sitting in limbo after being passed by the House. If it does make it to the Senate, the 50-50 split of power and the always looming threat of a filibuster will provide an uphill battle for Democrats. Although the bill may not make it to the Senate, there is overwhelming support across the nation for stricter use of background checks. According to a 2018 Quinnipiac University poll, 97 percent of Americans support universal background checks. The White House has expressed that it is a quote-unquote priority for the president to get gun control legislation passed and applied in the U.S. According to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, the president is ready to issue executive orders to enact gun reform if Congress can't pass gun control legislation. This comes with a small contradiction from the president, though. During his first press conference of his presidency, he stated that infrastructure rather than gun reform would be his next legislative priority. It still doesn't negate the fact that the president could still issue those executive orders when he wants to. There is no information yet on whether the president will be sending his own gun reform legislation up to Capitol Hill, just like he did with COVID-19 relief, as well as immigration reform. Aside from any legislation being suggested by the president, Biden announced at the beginning of the month that he would be sending his nomination for director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives to the Senate for approval. His pick, David Chipman, is an advisor for a major gun control group. Chipman is a veteran of the ATF, spending 25 years as a special agent. Currently, he is the senior policy advisor at Giffords, the organization created by former Arizona Representative Gabrielle Giffords that advocates for stricter gun laws. During his time at Giffords, Chipman pushed for increased regulation of ghost guns. That's it for Episode 8 of Policy Unplugged. As always, thanks for taking the time to listen today. Don't forget to tweet at us at Policy Unplugged on Twitter with your burning questions, ideas for episodes, and behind-the-scenes looks. Once again, at Policy Unplugged, we encourage all of our listeners to take the information heard here and look up more information from a diversified group of news sources. Don't forget to encourage your friends to listen to Policy Unplugged so that you can all debate politics with facts, not fiction. For Policy Unplugged, I'm your host, Alyssa Spady. 